It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to another week of the PowerMizzou.com podcast. I'm Gabe. Brian's here and all kinds of guests this week. What we're going to do is just a little look around SEC recruiting and really about Missouri's place in it. And, and how does Missouri overcome the fact that, look, they're not going to win a bunch of uh, a bunch of awards or competitions on National Signing Day? It's always been that way. It's frankly always going to be that way as much as Missouri fans don't want to hear it. So we're going to get to it. First, we're going to bring in Mike Farrell, the director of recruiting for Rivals.com. Mike, how you doing, man? Good. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, thanks for taking some time. And before we get into kind of the the meat of it just want to ask just your general impressions of Barry Odom his first year and a half this is his first real class and I I don't know I think we've got him somewhere around like mid-30s to 40 right now which is really kind of where Missouri's always lived yeah and and there's some needs being met you know I mean they hit it strong at defensive back um you know they, they were very strong at offensive line as well um you know there's a lot of defensive help that's coming here um but there's also a few guys i think they could impact on the offensive side of the football so you know with some of the young talent they have um and, and a mix of these guys coming in you know i think it's a solid class and and really when you're when you're missouri you know you're not <clears throat> ohio state or alabama or texas or one of those power programs with a with a tremendous you know recruiting backyard you have to first of all focus on need and fit and second, you got to be a better evaluator than everybody else. So you got to find guys that, you know, perhaps are being overlooked in the southeast. Um, and I think, you know, and, and in the mid Midlands area in Texas, um, you know, and I think they've done that with a few of these guys. Mike, um, <clears throat> Missouri kind of pulled out of Texas a little bit when they first moved into the SEC. It seems like they're trying to get back in there full force. I mean, I guess that's – do you agree that that's the best place for them when they're trying to pull – Guys from out of state, I know they thought it looked at Florida and Georgia a little bit, but it just didn't seem to work out that well for them. Yeah, I think Texas is a natural fit. I mean, we saw what, what Iowa was able to do this year before they, they sort of let everything fall apart, <clears throat> you know, in Texas with, with uh, you know, Kevin Calloway and Eno Benjamin. You can get kids in Texas to want to play in the SEC and, and you know, come up to, uh, you know, the Heartland and, and play. Um you know, it's harder to do that with the Southeast kids because they're over-offered and over-recruited. And, you know, you don't give up efforts in Florida and Georgia because I think, you know, some of the other programs, uh, you know, regionally have had success with some of those three-star kids from Florida that have turned out to play like four stars. Um, you know, so you continue to, to look at Florida. And, and Georgia, they did an okay job. And, you know, they've got Case Cook in this class who I think is going to be a, a, a an impact guy for them down the line. Um, but Texas seems more natural a fit for them. And it's more of a fit for kids that are looking to get out of the state and, pl- and go play in the SEC. Mike, I want to go a little more big picture with you now. And you've been doing these, uh, part of doing these rankings, I think for at least as long as I've been with rivals. And you mentioned like getting a three-star out of Florida who plays like a four-star. When you guys are doing these rankings, I mean, is there a difference in a three-star kid from Missouri and a three-star kid from Florida, or do you even look at where he's from? No, there's no difference. You know, that's why we have the rating scale, which is confusing to everybody, you know, the 6.1 down to 5.2. And, you know, a 5.7 three-star, which is a high-level three-star 
uh, prospect in Missouri is the same as one in Florida. Um, there's more of them in Florida, mm-hmm. but they're the same. You know, it's hard, though, because you're gauging competition level. So you could have a kid who's playing 6A ball in, in, in Florida going up against, you know, 10 Division One players every game um, and a kid in Missouri who sees maybe one or two all season long. So that's the difficult part about, you know, ranking kids equally from different states when there's a, a differential in talent. Um, but really it's more about depth. Um, you know, to me, like I said, a 5'7 in Missouri is the same as a 5'7 in Florida. Um, you, you hope he's as fast if he's playing, you know, a speed position, or you hope he's as athletic if he's playing a, a position that requires great footwork. Um, but we've seen Missouri produce some tremendous football players over the years um, that would have been, I think, you know, 50, 60 offer guys in Florida uh, who might not have done as well had they gone to Florida, Florida State, or some other area. So, you know, I, I think that's the sales pitch for Missouri is, listen, you, you, if you have the big offers and you want to stay home and that's your dream, I understand that. If you don't have the big offers and, you, and you're considering going out of state, you know, look at us compared to South Carolina. Look at us compared to, you know, uh, Auburn or, or, you know, programs like that where we've competed in the SEC, um, you know, to an equal level. Um, you know, maybe they didn't reach the national title game, uh, you know, or win one with Cam Newton like Auburn did, but they've won the division more than South Carolina. And, and that's the type of thing you have to point out. You mentioned Case Cook. Um, Deron Davis is the highest-ranked player in Missouri's class that's committed right now. I mean, who are, who are the guys that kind of stand out to you out of the 20 guys they have committed uh, at this point? Well, I think you look at the impact guys, the guys that can, can get on the field early. And, and to me, um, you know, Deron Davis is so versatile. I think he's a guy that's definitely going to play. You know, he'll be a potential special teams guy. He can play on either side of the ball. He's got good size. He's ready to play. Um, you know, the offensive lineman may be a year or two away, but I do like Cook, as I mentioned. I like Hyron White as well. Um, these guys are tall kids, long arms, with good frames to fill out. You're not talking about 335-pound guys who have already reached their ceiling. You're talking about guys that uh, some of them, especially White, look skinny on their frame, and you can build them up in the weight room the way you want to. Um, but positionally, I think it's always easiest for – wide receivers and running backs, um, especially wide receivers to make an impact. So I, I do like Jafar Armstrong. Um, you know, I do like Elijah Gardner, uh, especially because he's so tall and, and has such a great catch radius. And then, you know, uh, Larry Roundtree at running back. Now they've got a pretty good freshman running back there, but you don't want to wear that guy out. So you, you always want to add depth at, at positions of strength. Um, and that's where I could see a guy like Roundtree being sort of a change of pace guy. If, if, if you know, if he picks it up, uh, blocking is the biggest key with running backs. You know, if you can't block and you leave your quarterback to get killed, you're never going to see the field and fumbling. And those are two things that's really difficult for us to, to grade out of high school because, um, you know, guys never put the ball on the ground on film. <laughs> you know, you have to dig deep in, in, into game film to find fumblers um, and they never block. So that's that's why I think wide receivers are a little bit easier to uh, impact because you can dumb down the route tree and, and let their athleticism take over. All right, now I, you can. I'm going to make a couple statements and let you react. You can disagree with me if you want. First of all, I've always said that recruiting rankings for any individual kid 
probably aren't super meaningful. I mean, you can find a five-star that flops, and you can find a two-star that becomes an NFL player every year. Where they become valuable is when you're talking about taking the classes as a whole, where you know the 40th-ranked class probably isn't going to turn out as good as the ninth-ranked class, and if you're 12th in your own conference, it's going to be tough to win that conference. Do you, do you agree with that as a general statement uh, about how much value to put in these things? Yeah, I agree, because it's all about depth. You know, it's about depth uh, and competition. So when you're talking about one kid, you know, especially in positions that are really hard to evaluate where there's a high bust factor, like quarterback, offensive line, I think running back is a high bust factor too. Um, you know, it, it's difficult to gauge those guys because you don't know what's in their heart. You have no idea how they're going to react to the, the change of pace of college football. You don't know if they're going to get hurt. You don't know if they're going to have academic problems. You don't know if they're going to be knuckleheads off the field. You don't know if the, a coaching change is going to affect them, a scheme change. There's so many factors with individual rankings uh, that can lead to failure and success that it's, it's tough. But if you get a ton of kids that are highly ranked, uh, you're going to hit on more than you, than you miss on. And, and we saw that in the national championship game. Anybody who says stars don't matter and depth of class is, is nothing – needs to just look at the Clemson and Alabama game and see how many four- and five-star guys made big plays and impacted that game and impacted their seasons and, um, you know, how much depth, uh, you know, a team like Alabama is used to having. Their defense wore down because they lost so many guys to the NFL, and every year they lose guys to the NFL. But their starting 11 was just phenomenal, and every one of those kids except for one was a four- or five-star. So, that's what you look for. Now, if you're Missouri, you're not going to get four and five stars to fill up your 20-plus class. What you got to look for is the high threes and, and some fours. Uh, you got to look at keeping kids in state, which I think is extremely important, um, keeping kids regional, you know, uh, bordering states. And then that's where you, you start to branch out and you start to recruit Texas and Georgia and, and Florida to find those sleepers that, that everybody, you know, thinks – is, is, you know, not quite as good as you do. The, the second part of that, and I, I actually a few years ago did this and went through and looked at, like, average star rankings for, like, a five-year period and then where teams ended up. And it, Gary Pinkle and Mike Leach were the two coaches that I found that I, I don't know how, but they seem to, on a consistent basis, make our rankings look stupid. So <laughs> why, was, why was Pinkle one of those guys that was able to kind of outperform what we said he should be able to do, and how does Barry Odom do the same thing? A lot of it's coaching, a lot of it's scheme, a lot of it's finding players that fit your scheme and you know will run through a brick wall. Um, you know, it takes a lot more evaluation when you're recruiting, uh, you know, high threes and low fours than, than when you're just picking five stars. Um, you know, when, when you think of, of Texas Tech or Washington State, you think of scheme. You know, uh, the offense is difficult to deal with. You know, uh, it's high tempo. They're throwing a ball every play. They're spreading you out. And they're sort of negating any sort of athleticism advantage you have. And the opposite of that is sometimes you can play power football where you're just lining up and, and you're putting six big guys uh, on your line of scrimmage and, and you got a big, powerful running back, and, and that's what you're doing to set up your passing game is you're, you're wearing them down. Um, I think it's scheme and evaluation. You know, Rich Rodriguez of West Virginia made our rankings look stupid. Boise State every year made our rankings look stupid for a very long time. Um, 
the, the thing that all of those schools, except for Texas Tech, uh, have is, is a poor recruiting foundation. You know, there, there's not a lot of talent in Idaho. There's not a lot of talent in West Virginia. Uh, and there's certainly not a lot of talent up in Washington State. And Texas Tech, when, when Leach was there, was fifth or sixth in their own state when it came to attractive locations to play football. Mm-hmm. So that's where you got to find the guys that you like, coach them up, and that's what I, I think Pinkle did a great job of. And, Mike, I wanted to switch gears to the 2018 class real quick. St. Louis is, and Missouri in general is just pretty loaded um, with high-level guys in that class with Cameron Babb, Michael Thompson, Trevor Trout, Ronnie Perkins. Um, I mean, you can kind of go on for a little while. What Your initial early um, impressions of that class and uh, the guys that you like the most out of that group? Yeah, it's a better year than this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people are concerned. You know, they don't have uh, a ton of guys in the class from Missouri and you know, Deron Davis is the, the only four-star in state they kept. But, you know, I don't see this as a tremendous year, you know, um, when it comes to the state of Missouri. I do see next year as a tremendous year. Um, so it's going to be real important for them, you know, to keep some of these guys home. You know, right now we've got four four-stars there, uh, but there's a couple guys I think that are on the verge of that. And they're at key important positions too. So when you're looking at the top six in the state of Missouri – and three of those guys are defensive linemen, right. and Missouri has such a tremendous uh, defensive line tradition. You got to keep the ones you want. Um, it's going to be tough because Trevor Trout's going to get offers from everybody, um, you know. And, and Perkins and Carson will will blow up as well, I think, because they're big, big defensive linemen who can move, um, you know. And then Michael Thompson, of course, there's a fourth the defensive lineman. You got to keep those guys home. Um, so if I'm Missouri, I want to keep four out of these six in state. Now, how do I do that when the Ohio States of the world are coming in and when you see Clemson stealing kids out of Missouri here and there? I don't know. Um, you you got to have a really good season on the field and you got to sell them, you know, a vision. And you especially got to sell that defensive line tradition because I think guys like Trout, Thompson, and Perkins and Carson know, you know, how many guys have gone off to the NFL from Missouri and they don't have to go anyplace else to really get that uh, that attention because everybody is looking at Missouri for defensive linemen if you're an NFL scout. All right, Mike, we're going to finish you up with this. A lot of good information, so now you get to have a little fun. Is there any fan base in America that thinks you don't hate their team? No. I, I would say <laughs> this. It's very interesting. The, the Iowa fans are very polite, you know? Yeah. Um, they, don't, they, don't, they think I hate their team, but they're polite about it. Um, you know, you go on that board and you know, the kid drops in the rankings and they say, well, why did he drop? And then you, you answer and they say, well, thank you, sir. You know, and it's like, whoa. <laughs> um, and then when you go on some of these other message boards, I mean, the, the amount of hatred that can be put into the first two posts in the response to anything you put up is just astonishing. Now, I've seen everything, so nothing surprises me. Um, but I would say every fan base thinks I hate them, and that's – that means I'm doing my job. If there's like, if there's five or six fan bases out there that think you know Alfaro likes likes us, then I'm not doing my job well at all because I have to be completely Switzerland when it comes to uh, evaluations and rankings. And the other thing, I get this question a lot: we do not rank kids based on where they're going. Okay, so why don't you make every defensive lineman that goes to Missouri a four star? You look at how many kids they've produced. You don't do it that way simply because a) we rank them before they commit, for the most part. 
And B, you have no idea what scheme changes, what coaching changes are going to occur over the four or five year life of that prospect. Um, so I've had people say Wisconsin's every offensive lineman should be a four or five star. You know, you're crazy. Uh, every defensive lineman from Missouri should be a four or five star. We don't even look at where they're looking at or where they're committed. No one will believe that, but that's the truth. All right, man. Mike, I appreciate it, man. Have a good day, and we'll uh, catch up. All right. Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot. Mike Farrell, uh, Rivals.com, National Director of Recruiting. You heard it there, and I know you won't believe it, so we're just going to move on. We are going to move on now. Like I said, we're talking SEC recruiting kind of big picture today, and so we're going to hit kind of both ends of the spectrum in the SEC East. We are going to start at Georgia. Roddy Nabulsi, the publisher of UGASports.com. Roddy, what's up, man? Not too much. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, appreciate you taking some time. So we're we're we just talked to Mike Farrell um, about kind of national and, and SEC recruiting in general. So I want to start with you, just with Kirby Smart. You know, came in the same time as Barry Odom did here, first full year recruiting. And last time I looked, he has like thirty seven kids in the top one hundred committed. I mean, it, <laughs> it, this is uh, it, Mark. Uh, Georgia's always recruited well, but is this a different level even this year? Oh yeah, it's, it's very different, and not not to you know contradict what you're saying about Georgia recruiting well because they have, but a lot of people think Georgia recruits at an elite level, and that's not the case. If you look over the last four years, they've had a 13th ranked class, an 11th ranked class, and then a sixth and a seventh, and uh, some of those classes were overranked, especially that uh, 13th ranked class. The class of 2013 wound up giving Georgia out of 33 kids, they had about five actual contributors. So that's why Mark Rick is no longer in Athens. I mean, those were the kids who were supposed to be seniors, you know, this year. and They just they just weren't there. So uh, this is a new level. Now Georgia is recruiting at an elite level. They have 13 kids in the top 100. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it's going to be in the top 250. Uh, Alabama has 16. So Georgia's right there with Alabama and Ohio State. They have a third-ranked class in the nation, and it's rare air. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time, but I've never seen Georgia recruit like this. Uh, they just signed back-to-back five-star quarterbacks. Only two other schools in the history of the rivals' uh, rankings have done that, you know, Florida and Notre Dame. So, like I said, this is very rare air for Georgia right now. Roddy, this is Brian. Um, what What's the difference been? What What has Kirby Smart been able to do that maybe Mark Richt wasn't? I think a lot of these kids uh, growing up, you know, Mark Richt had been the head coach at Georgia for you know, 15 years. Mm. So ever since they even started playing football, he was the head coach. You know, uh, it was, I don't want to say boring, but it just, there wasn't that excitement factor. When Kirby comes in, and Kirby was, you know, one of the reasons Alabama had had all that success recruiting out of the state of Georgia when he was recruiting for the Crimson Tide. And when he was able to come to Georgia and have just a little bit of uh, extra interest and a little bit of more enthusiasm, you know, he's recruiting to his alma mater, to his home state, and, you know, Georgia just became the, I don't know, I guess the end thing is the word I'm looking for, the phrase. Mm-hmm. They just became a, a lot of kids who maybe might not have given Georgia a, uh, I don't say a second thought, but might have just said, oh, well, that's what everybody does. I'm going to do something different. Like when Raekwon McMillan went to Ohio State, mm-hmm. you know, the kids in state said, well, you know, hey, maybe Georgia's hot again. And maybe we do need to play in state. And, you know, 18 of their 23 commits are from the state of Georgia and they're top players. So. I think Kirby just uh, brought a spark and uh, actually created a little bit of in-state pride. And he got on these kids very early. A lot of these kids have been committed for over a year. So 
Uh, he hit them quick, hit them fast, got them committed, and had them work on each other. So you've got a good class going. You mentioned 18 guys in the state of Georgia. And for other SEC schools, this is kind of a two-part question. I mean, first of all, is Georgia getting to the point now where other SEC schools are going to say, I mean, outside, we understand Alabama is going to recruit anybody they want, but uh, a lot of those next-level schools are going to say, man, it might not be worth our time because uh, Smart seems to be locking down the state of Georgia. And then second of all, just as a guy who covers a lot of recruiting in high school football in Georgia – I mean, how much talent, where does Georgia rank when you start talking about like, you know, California, Texas, Florida, Ohio with how many kids come out of there every year? Well, that's the thing. People say lock down the state. I'm like, it's impossible. I mean, even in the rivals rankings, as well as Georgia's doing, they're going to miss on four of the top five kids in the state. (laughs) It's it's impossible to lock it down completely because you're looking at each year. 150 to 200 D1 kids come out of the state of Georgia. It's the fourth highest producer of Division One talent in the nation. So, I mean, and if you look at it on a per capita basis, I mean, it's right there with Louisiana and, uh, and Mississippi when it comes to just sheer number of uh, uh, players that come out of there based on population. It's more efficient than Texas, uh, Florida, and uh, California. So uh, you can't lock them down. You can only sign 25, and there's 150 of them, you know, who are going to go play somewhere and make uh, – uh, names for themselves. I mean, watching the NFL playoffs, I was like, oh, look, a Peach State kid. Oh, another Peach State kid. So that's a Peach State on Peach State kid crime right there. So just, you know, there's too many of them to lock them down. So, you know, the Auburns, uh, the Missouris, the Kentuckys, the, you know, Florida State, Clemson, everybody's going to come to Georgia because that's where all the kids are. And if you're, uh, you know, I don't see Cal and UCLA needing to come out to Georgia, but, you know, Tennessee absolutely has to. They're in state recruiting. Uh, Talent pool is just not there. Same with Vanderbilt, same with South Carolina, you know, uh, North Carolina. You have to come to Georgia if you want the players. You know, you have to go to Florida if you want the players. You know, same if you're in Texas, you know, in that area, you got to recruit Texas well. So as much as Kirby wants to put up a wall and keep everybody out, it's impossible. Missouri doesn't quite recruit to the level that Georgia does, obviously. Um, what, what was Georgia fans' take the last – couple of years back, Missouri making back-to-back SEC title games. Did, I mean, do they look at it like, how how are these guys beating us? How are they getting there? We're recruiting all these big-time guys. They're recruiting these three-star, two-star kids. Uh, I mean, what was the perception down there when, when Missouri came in and won those two back-to-back? Well, is Mark Rick in Athens anymore? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what it turned into. Uh, it was, wait a minute, you've out-recruited Missouri for you know every year. Uh, I don't think that there was a year in the Margaret tenure which Missouri had a higher ranked class. No way. Uh, I could be wrong. I just no. Don't you're right. Number one. You're right. And he loses to them. <laughs> That's just unacceptable. You know, Missouri comes in uh, to the SEC and wins two of them. It wins the East twice. And Margaret had won one. You know, in like eight years. You're like, wait a minute. Why? Why the hell are we paying you? You know, three million dollars, and you're signing all these fantastic classes. You have ridiculous facilities you have a uh, you know 93,000 people in the stands uh, every you know three different planes to use when you go recruiting and you can't win the ACC East and Missouri can maybe we need to hire uh you know the Missouri head coach so uh <laughs> it it did not go over well in the state of Georgia that, that's the best way I could say it. it it went over very badly and it came down to well are you taking the talent you have and coaching them up you have the better uh, Jimmy's and Joe's, but you have the better X's and O's, and mm-hmm. it really hurt Mark Rick's uh, perception. All right, well, that ties into kind of the last thing I want to ask you before we let you go. Um, it, you know, I 
we all know there are like tiers in college football and not just in recruiting, but also once you get into the games, I think tier one right now is clearly like Bama, Ohio state, Clemson, and then maybe Florida state, maybe not. But I think, I think Georgia is solidly like on that next tier where look any given year they can do it. So if Kirby smart continues to recruit this way, how many years until the reaction is, okay, it's time to win the whole thing or, or it's not good enough. I mean, Mark Rick was really good, but I think he got to a point where Georgia said, yeah, but it's just not good enough. You know, it's pretty good, but we're not breaking through. So how long does, does Kirby Smart take top 10 classes? And, and I guess when does the payoff have to come? Not next year, but I believe in year three. Uh, everybody gets a, uh, a honeymoon period for the first year. And Kirby went through that pretty quickly. Uh, year two, everyone has to understand that uh, Georgia's revamping its entire offensive line. I don't think that uh, people are expecting a, uh, a title in year two, but they are expecting an SEC East title. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that not winning that will kind of uh, take a little bit of shine off uh, Kirby Smart's star, even though, again, that's asking a lot in two years. But uh, I think the third year, you'll have a uh, you know junior quarterback in Jacob Eason, you know, the the top quarterbacks in the nation, it'll be his third year starting, uh, more than likely. Uh, you'll have had a chance to improve that defensive line, the secondary. In other words, in year three, they're going to say, look, Kirby, you got all your guys. Uh, you got Show us that you can coach. We know you can recruit. Show us that you can win the big one. Mm-hmm. And fair or not, I expect that the uh, fan base in year three is going to be saying, look, we better be playing for a title. If this, if this was July 15th and we're sitting in Hoover, would you pick Georgia to win that division next year? Uh, I, I would, and I'm not trying to be a homer. It's just uh, <laughs> looking at what uh, Florida lost uh, with all its starters on defense. You know, yeah. looking at uh, Tennessee, Missouri, South Carolina. Uh, Georgia's got more coming back. They had a very young defensive line. They played uh, six uh, freshmen on that defensive front, but with Trent Thompson coming back, the defensive line should be solid. The quarterback play should be solid. They had two of the best running backs in the nation coming back. A good wide receiver core. Two of the best tight ends. It's all going to come down to you know, revamping that offensive line, which is you and I both know that's make or break. And you know when you got Sam Pittman, one of the best uh, offensive line coaches in the country, I mean, you can't do it with him. Then I just don't know that you can get it done. So uh, right now, it's not to say that Georgia's really great. It's just the East is not very not, solid right now. Not so, great. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, I would give Georgia the, and not, I'm not saying you know it's a a, a given. I would say I expect Georgia to be able to pull it off. All right, Roddy, appreciate it, man. Thanks for the time, and we'll uh, we'll catch up. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, Roddy Nabulsi, UGASports.com publisher. And uh, before we go to our next call, I mean, Brian, it's all a matter of perspective. Mm-hmm. They don't recruit at an elite level. <laughs> Their average under Mark Richt was like the ninth-ranked recruiting class in the country. Right. A lot of schools would consider that an elite level. Yeah, I think uh... – all Missouri fans would be pretty happy with uh, an average of ninth. I <clears throat> instead of uh, mid thirties, I guess, prize yeah. what their average is uh, the last several years. So, yeah, it is. Everything's a matter of perspective. You never know what uh, somebody else is going through until you're in their position. All right. Last, we are going to uh, like we said, we're taking you the whole spectrum. We start with Mike Farrell on the national part. We we went to Roddy Nabolsi, who gives you kind of the view from the top of the SEC East recruiting chain, and now we're going to talk to somebody who covers a school that, that frankly, lives 
kind of where Missouri does. Um, Vanderbilt isn't going to win awards on National Signing Day. They have had a, a pretty decent team here a few times the last few years. We're talking to Chris Lee, publisher of VandySports.com. Chris, what's going on, man? I'm good, and I, I would say Vanderbilt probably lives a notch below Missouri. I mean, Missouri has yeah. had you know, Doyle Green Beckham and Terry Becker Jr. and some guys like that that, that were really higher rated than Vanderbilt Scott. But, I mean, I, I understand the basis for your comparison. wanted to point that out a little bit, but mm-hmm. – yeah, I mean, there's certainly programs that live alike in a lot of ways when it turns to high-profile recruiting. And, I mean, when we were talking to Roddy, he says Georgia hadn't really recruited at an elite level. Mark Rick's last four years, the average class rank was like nine and a half. Um, you know, <laughs> Gary Pinkle never had one better than 21. I've got to imagine Vanderbilt has never cracked the top 20. Uh, you know, so I, like we were talking about right before we called you, it's a matter of perspective. Well, and – it's interesting you mentioned that. I think James Franklin had a couple that were top 25 or borderline top 25, you know, really close. But those classes never really panned out the way that I think people expected. I mean, there were some good players in them for sure. And sometimes the good players in those classes, you know, Ralph Webb was kind of an afterthought. And Ralph Webb may end up next year as the second leading rusher in the history of the Southeastern Conference. So, you know, Dave, you know as well as I know sometimes, sometimes it's, it's how much a coach is networked and how much he wants to lobby recruiting analysts. I mean, James Franklin did it all the time. It certainly got some pretty good boost for his recruiting class. You know, I cover coach now, Derek Mason, doesn't really care about those things. And so that's, that's kind of part of it, too. Chris, I was, <clears throat> this is Brian. I was just wondering, how much does the uh, academic side of Vanderbilt play into their recruiting, like, who they can take, who they can't take. It plays in, and I think it's a little bit tougher for Derek Mason than it was for the coaches before him. I think their standards have always been pretty reasonable. I mean, they can get in a kid with the with the twenty ACT and a and two eight or two nine core, which is you know about an average or maybe slightly below average kid academically. Which you know you look at it, and Vanderbilt is a tough place to do work. I don't think, given the environment, it's unreasonable. Um, and, and certainly there are not many programs, but I know Stanford's a tougher place to get kids in than Vanderbilt is. So I'd say it's certainly it's the, it's the toughest in the SEC to get a kid in. But I've, I've seen, you know, kids that got in that I was a little surprised, you know, based on my interactions with them. You can get kids. Everybody doesn't have to be a Rhodes Scholar to get in there. <laughs> uh, going big picture now, uh, look, Gary Pinkle proved it can be done. I think James Franklin proved it can be done at a at a, a certain level. I look at the SEC and I tell Missouri fans all the time: take Auburn, LSU, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, and Texas A&M. You're never out recruiting those schools. You're never beating them on National Signing Day. Maybe once every you know ten years you have a special in-state class or something. So how does the school? whether it's Missouri, whether it's Vanderbilt, whether it's Mississippi State, whatever, that is never going to be in that top seven, how do they on the field get into the top, not just the top seven, but, I mean, playing in title games? Hey, Gabe, I think you might even add one more school to that the way Ole Miss has recruited lately. Which is not this year, you. though. Yeah, well, maybe not this year, but, I mean, they've had some top you know, top ten classes, and, you know, Larry Tunsil, we know all about that and everything, mm-hmm. but, yeah, I, I think it's, it's a couple things. I think it's finding kids, obviously, that fit your system. You've seen coaches like Gary Patterson, and you saw it with Chris Peterson at Boise State, although that was a different situation. I think Gary Patterson is probably the better comp because 
he's a guy that just found athletes that sort of fit his system. They were really, really good at projecting out and saying this guy can be this or that. And, you know, that, that's that's probably a high bar because I think Gary's as good at it as anybody. And, and so you're, you're setting – you know, a standard that is tough to live up to. But I think that's one way is it's finding kids that maybe the analysts don't take things in, but, but you know, hey, we can get this kid in our weight room, our strength and conditioning. We'll make him into what he needs to be where we plan to play him and, and, and have that special ability to speak to those things. The second thing, and I think this is how Vanderbilt has won some games against teams that certainly recruited better than him. Tennessee, they beat Tennessee like a drum in Nashville you know, down the stretch and Tennessee certainly recruited much better talent than they did, but Tennessee had all kinds of discipline problems, you know, with, with kids getting dismissed. And, you know, I think that program under Butch Jones was a train wreck, too. And I'll look at Vanderbilt, and, and the roster turnover since Derek has gotten his kids in has been pretty minimal. And the, the kids that have left have been kids that, that weren't going to see the field, and if they did see the field, it was very limited. So I think it's just two things. I think it's, it's finding a system like, like Patterson did, where you can see things that other guys maybe don't, and they fit your system. And then I think it's, it's not having roster turnover. I think Vanderbilt has been able to win by getting good kids who stay out of trouble and and make the grades and those things. I think it'd be really smart in those two ways. You can you can level the playing field maybe more than than most people think. Chris, Missouri's always plan for recruiting seems to be to lock down the borders as much as they can in Missouri and then hit Texas and Florida and Georgia and Tennessee a little bit too. What What's kind of the, the approach that Vanderbilt's staff under uh, Coach Mason has taken with that? Well, one complaint has been they, they haven't locked down the border, which is, is really tough to do with, with Tennessee mm-hmm. in the picture. I mean, this is such a pro-Tennessee state that Vanderbilt's almost an afterthought is almost kind at times. But I think they have done it. You know, Derek has got connections. The Polynesian connection is one that they work pretty hard. They go to Hawaii a lot, which, and sign me up for that. <laughs> you know, they, they hit the West Coast with his connection to Stanford. I think they really mine a lot of different areas of the country. I think a lot of people, me included, feel like they may need to be a little bit more aggressive in their backyard. They've had kids that were perfectly reasonable, Vanderbilt-type players that have wanted to come there that, for some reason, Know, they they got on late or, or didn't think they fit their system and, and sometimes maybe that's a, a deal of hike. If Derek likes tall players and, and maybe a kid locally is an inch or two shorter they would like. And so to be fair for Derek, that maybe sometimes it's an issue of body type. But I think they could be a little bit more aggressive in their backyard. But I think they have been good at scouring certain areas of the country, maybe the West Coast, and you know, they've certainly got some good players from, from Alabama and Georgia traditionally. You know, Zach Cunningham was one of those, although that was one of James's players. But I think it's more of a, of a broad approach, certainly, and uh, maybe they could do a little better in their own backyard. Chris, I want to finish you up with two non-football recruiting questions, and the first one is purely a selfish question. You uh, mentioned Zach Cunningham. So uh, having been a Chiefs fan my whole life and knowing that there is zero chance they're drafting a quarterback in the first round, is Zach Cunningham going to be around at the end of the first round? Or is, hey, what are the projections for him because uh, he was – as good a non-Alabama defensive player as there was in this league, and, and frankly, better than a lot of Alabamas, too. Yeah, I have seen him as high as 11 overall at mock drafts. He seems to settle more in that 20 to 25 range. Now, there was a tweet that someone had put out that the scouts thought that maybe he was a second to third round pick. I think if that happens, it's Brian. The knocks on him are 
He tackles too high, but my goodness, he made some great plays in some of his best stops for season tackling high. And he misses some stops, too, and, and maybe needs some upper body strength. But, man, if you want to talk productivity, that guy had it. And, and when did the Chiefs pick Gabe? I don't know, 27 or something. Hey, look, if he's around at 27 and they get him, then that's a steal. And as a Titans fan, I think they've got their second pick at 18. If they were to snag him there, I would be ecstatic. But, yeah, if he falls to the Chiefs, I think, I, I think you know, and, and the other thing, again, Zach's a good kid. He's not going to do something stupid or flunk a drug test or, or cause a locker room rift. Uh, I, I think if the Chiefs got him there, boy, I, I would be very happy as a Chiefs fan. Good kid, no locker room rift. He and Travis Kelsey would get along fantastically. I think. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Let's uh, like that, right? Let's finish up then. Just just hit on on both these real quick. First of all, Bryce Drew, year one. You know how are things going there? And, and then also, we all know what Vanderbilt has really become known for is Tim Corbin's program. How's baseball going to be this year? Basketball has been a little rough. He and Kevin Stallings recruit different type of players. I think that Bryce looks to the defensive end first. Kevin looks to the offensive end first. And just some of the athletes that they have on the perimeter in particular are not the kind of players that Bryce wants in his system. I think he's making it work as best he can. They've lost a lot of close games. And it seems, honestly, we're a little bit better than him. So I think, boy, if they were to get to 500, yeah, I think it'd be a really successful season for them. But I think their best future is a few years ahead of them. Baseball polls came out, at least D1 baseballs did yesterday. Vanderbilt's ranked seventh in the country. I think that's about right. They've got some questions on the weekend end of the pitching staff. You know, if Donnie Everett is back on the team, the kid that drowned, it was probably going to be a top five overall pick in 18. Then I think they're right up there, maybe in that number one or two discussion. But unfortunately, he's drowned in that tragic accident, and they're left what they're left. But it's still a pretty good team. You got Kyle Wright, that's your Friday night starter. Jaron Kendall is your center fielder. Both those guys are in, in the mix to go number one overall in the 2017 draft. They've got a, a lineup that's really going to hit. I think if they can find, you know, some some roles because that's where they're unsettled is a little bit in the bullpen and maybe who that third starter is going to be, but. Certainly a lot of talent again, and, and they're right up there, I think, in, in most people's top ten, and ain't deserving. So, All right, Chris, you're the best. I promise I didn't say that to either of the other two guys we talked to today, but thanks for the time, man. <laughs> I appreciate it. That's the nicest thing anybody said to me all day. All right, have a good one, man. Chris <laughs> Lee, VandySports.com, and uh, just kind of wanted to do big picture, take you around the league and, and give you kind of a view. I mean, like Chris said, Vandy lives probably a step below Missouri. Georgia lives – a few steps above Missouri. Uh, I mean, I think 2018 is when we find out this staff, can they, we know what the approach is. The approach doesn't change with any coach, Brian. The approach at Missouri is get the best guys and not a hundred percent, but like Farrell said, four out of six in the state of Missouri, and then start looking to Texas and Tennessee and some of these other places. Right. And with this 2018 class that's coming up, it's, it's big for coach Odom. It's, it's a, it's coming up quick. I mean, he's only going to be in his second full-time recruiting cycle. He hasn't really got his program established, so that's – I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for him. He, uh, he'll have a chance hopefully this season to, to get a few more wins, and that might help sway kids. I, all the guys that I've talked with so far have been pretty adamant about waiting until after their senior season. So he's going to have some time to uh, to get, get the product on the field, looking a little better, to recruit him a little bit more. Um, it's just uh, – I mean, it's, there's no way around it. It's a big year. There's a lot, so many big-time players on 
defensive line, wide receiver, that positions that <clears throat> with their offense and then defensive line is always a big deal in the SEC that they they could really use. All right, we'll finish up with just a couple of quick hitters on kind of news of the day type things. We've talked about some of this, most of this on the message board. Uh, Elijah Gardner goes from nobody knows who he is to Ohio State and Texas in-home visits on back-to-back days. I mean, I think right now, look, it's, it's wait and see. Who knows, man? Those are big boys starting to call around, and I think Missouri's going to have a fight on his hands. Yeah, anytime those two schools. I mean, Ohio State's just the program so so successful now, and Texas hasn't been as successful as it had been in the past, but it's still, I would say it's still the program in Texas, even over Texas a and even though they've had a little bit more success recently. Um It'll be. They'll have their hands full. They're gonna. I'm sure the coaches will be down there to check in with them as much as they can, as much as is legally allowed by the NCAA. Right. Um, Colin, I'm sure all the time. I know he tweeted out some something about family that they send down some graphic to him and things like that. So they're they're definitely working as hard as they can to keep them as you'd expect. But it it is going to be a challenge. And yeah, we've been told Andy Hill will be in Dallas today. We're assuming he will make a trip to Kemp and and see Elijah Gardner, uh, another guy that. That you know we were talking about getting some attention is Jafar Armstrong. Ton of ton of offers this week or this month. Uh, you know maybe uh, at least looking at enjoying a couple trips. But it's our impression that uh, look he has been. I mean he called Missouri his dream offer before he got it. I've got a hard time seeing that kid signing anywhere else. Yeah, I don't think uh, Missouri fans have too much to worry there. I, I you can't blame a kid for wanting to go out and take a couple free trips to places. I I know. I mean. I don't understand why more kids don't take all five of their visits. It's remarkable. Uh, the percentage of pe- people that take all five visits, it's like, I think in the 20s or something like that. And I would think if I was a parent of an 18-year-old kid that had an opportunity to go on five little mini vacations to yeah. some pretty cool places and get wined and died, I'd be telling them to, hey, go ahead. And I mean, if these teams are going to be willing to invite you up and do this for you, take advantage of it. Then last thing, I mean, next to last official visit weekend, all of a sudden, as far as we know, only has one uncommitted kid. Um, so, look, there's really no other way to put it other than this weekend has gone from something we thought was going to be pretty big to, for fans, probably a little bit of a letdown. We'll see what happens the the last weekend before National Signing Day. But But as far as this weekend, probably not near as much news to track as we thought there once might be. Right, yeah. We had heard some big numbers uh, in – towards the end of December about these last two weekends. And unless they're all got moved around to this final weekend, it's it's definitely not living up to it yet. And, yeah, like you said, there's no way around. It's just a little disappointing. It's it's going to be uh, a lot easier for us to track down on Sunday. So I guess. Uh, <laughs> Bad for you, good for us, I guess, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's, it looks that way right now. All right. So there you go, guys. Uh, thanks to Mike Farrell, Roddy Nabulsi, Chris Lee. Uh, Brian and I will be back next Thursday, which will be the final podcast before National Signing Day. So that's going to kind of be our national, our last weekend, our National Signing Day preview. And then, uh, Brian, you don't know this yet, but I'm going to probably make us come in and do one the day after National Signing Day to kind of wrap things up. So we'll definitely be here the next couple weeks uh, talking football recruiting. And then after that, well, we all probably know what we're going to be talking about in March. Yeah. Coaching search. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, guys, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.